Fans of the Dynasty Invest podcast, if you feel like there was one particular episode in the back catalogue in the anthology of Dynasty Invest podcast episodes that really, really, really was massively valuable to you, feel free to share that with a fellow dental colleague who's in a similar position so their understanding of finance can be elevated and they can hit the next level of financial success in their life. Also, as well as that, if you could take two seconds to rate and review this podcast, it would mean the world to me. What that would mean is that it drives this podcast further in terms of reach so that more dentists across the world can be able to benefit from the knowledge contained therein. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Dentists Who Invest podcast. Welcome. This is the hotly anticipated, I suppose, uh, Facebook Live Q&A session with Harry Singh. Harry's podcast was a runaway success, so it made me think to myself, wow, there maybe is a lot more uh, dentists who are into property than I first anticipated. So I thought, who better to get on the show? I feel like there's a lot of crypto questions on the group, but a close second or somewhere up there are questions on property. And there is, of course, the received wisdom that you haven't got a diversified portfolio until you've got some property. Um, It affects every one of us because we need a house. Harry is just quite rightly pointed out to me that the timing of this Q&A may not be exactly, how can we say, ideal, because there's a big football match on at the minute, which I was just watching a minute ago. So, uh, yeah, we might have a little bit less uh, in terms of numbers than anticipated, but it will be thrown up later on uh, for a podcast for everybody's view and pleasure. So what I'm going to do, feel free to throw your questions in the comments box, guys. They appear momentarily after they're typed. Uh, a few moments after the type, because there is a little bit of a delay in the feed. Uh, if it's okay with you, what I'll do is I'll just kick off with a question for the from the group. And uh, yeah, welcome, Harry, to the show. Thank you. And I said, I'll, I'll give the listeners a bit of a warning. I'm a big Liverpool fan, so if I start shouting, we've scored. If I start swearing, uh, main night's just <laughs> Thanks for the heads up, Harry. Thanks for the heads up. So yes, there is a question on the group here. Um, it was posted anonymously not that long ago. So let me just see if I can scroll down and find it. I think it was the age-old chestnut of buying Vitalettes in a limited company or buying them as a sole trader. So I'm sure Harry's heard it 100 times before, but let's just get up the exact wording of the question here and we shall see. I won't be too long. It'll be somewhere down here. Somewhere, somewhere. somewhere. Oh, I'm struggling to find it. A little bit. Well, do you know what? I can paraphrase. I know what it. I know what it was in a way. Yeah, yeah. I can paraphrase. The question was: Is it superior? What are the pros and cons of owning your own property versus owning? Uh, well, specifically a buy to let. Owning specifically a buy to let as a sole trader or owning it under your name versus owning it through a limited company. What would you say the pros and cons are? Throw those questions up in the in the question bar for us, guys, and then Harry will answer this one for us in the meantime. Okay, so obviously there's a uh, disclaimer. I'm not a financial advisor. I'm not a professional accountant, so I can only I'm not giving you any advice. Always seek professional advice. Don't take out your own teeth. Go to a dentist to see someone. But um, in terms of it, all depends on what you want out of the property. So there's two parts to this question. One is those that have got existing portfolio, like me, that's been investing since 2002, spoke to my accountant and said, okay, if I transfer to the limited or get incorporated, what's the plus side, what's the downsides? 
So there's, because I've had them for such a long time, it's a big capital gain. So if I did go incorporate with those, there'll be a big capital gain and stamp duty and bill to pay. So just be wary of that if you are thinking, but same again, go to professional advice. If you're buying new, then, and the properties I'm buying now, going forwards, we are buying by limited company incorporation, SPV, special purpose vehicle. So, What's the pros and the cons? So if you buy under your personal name, the advantage is you can get access to that money. The rental profits, you can get access to it for maximum cash flow if you want to replace your income. The downside is Section 24, which the government introduced, where the mortgage interest does not count um, as a tax expense. So give you an example, your rent is, say, say £1,000 a month, you're getting and your mortgage payments were £500 a month. In the old system before Section 24, your profit was 500 you get tax on that. But now you get tax on the £1,000. There's a 20% um, tax credit you get. So you'd be taxed basically on the £800, but it's a still a higher tax bill. If you go incorporated limited, Section 24 doesn't apply. So same example, you've got a property within a limited structure. The rent is £1,000. Your um, mortgage is £500, you'll be taxed on the £500. But as we know, those dentists that have gone limited with their business, it is much harder to get the money out once you reach the maximum salary and dividends that you've paid yourself. So it all goes back to what you want property to give you. So in, in a nutshell, if you need the income from property, then it may not be the best is just to go incorporated. If you're building a better pension pot and you don't need the money from the property, then incorporated could be a good idea. But like anything, personal situations are different for everyone. You need to speak to your accountant. Harry, I saw something on the group the other day. Somebody commented this. Now, you all know more than me. I wanted to run it by you. But someone was saying it can be advantageous to hold your property portfolio in a limited company. Should there be an issue where the tenants come after you? for some sort of liability and a health and safety issue. And if it wasn't to be in a limited company and you were a sole trader, then your personal assets will be, well, they, you could possibly lose some of your personal assets to fund that, uh, you know, to pay out on a liability case. Is that correct? Yeah, because that's what people go limited, because it's limited liability. So if that person can only make a claim, or if you go bankrupt or insolvent, they can only claim on the assets within yeah. that limited company. So that's, gives that peace of mind but the likelihood of you um having problems with your property residential especially residential property we always use full management so they're going to check make sure the gas safety checks done is complies with health and safety the actual it's never come across my mind to actually go limited because of that reason because it's quite a relatively safe environment and I, I'm speaking to other investors. I've never heard any investors being sued by their tenants for any breaches of health and safety. So what you're saying is, in theory, yes, but de facto in practice, it's not really yeah. so much yeah. of an issue. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. And then really it depends on whether or not you want to just keep that money in your company and invest it or, you know, do whatever. Yeah, fair enough. Cool. Thank you so much for that. All right. So we'll crack on with some questions in the feed now. Uh, so we'll just jump straight in there. We've got Wacho Lee. Evening, Wacho. I remember you from last week. Thanks for attending again. Ian Dunn has quite rightly pointed out, could this not have waited until after the match? Ian, I think I'm going to have to take that one on the chin and just apologize for that <laughs> offhand. I can only say sorry. Last week, in my defense, 
Some people asked me last week to have it on at six, and I unwittingly agreed to it until I realised the significance of the occasion. I've just had to tear myself away from Liverpool's Man United myself. Apologies to anybody listening who that has affected. That is completely my bad. Moving swiftly on. Gurjeet Carr. Good evening, Gurjeet. How are you? Hope you're well as well. Uh, then we've got Liam Boyle next. Liam would like to know, is it best to buy property with a repayment-only mortgage or with an interest-only mortgage? I think this is a bit of an old chestnut as well. Yeah. Is it, Harry? Yeah, and I love answering questions because it's going to be yes, no, and maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, same again, depends on your situation. So I have my buy-to-debt mortgages interest-only because I want the maximum cash from the properties. Um, so the biggest problem people have is they don't understand the difference between good debt and bad debt. So bad debt is credit card debt, personal loans, car finance that you're paying out of your own pocket. I agree. You want to clear that bad debt as quick as, a pos- quick as possible because it's not on a asset. Good debt is, one, it's on an appreciating asset, which is property, and two, the debt servicing does not come out of your own pocket. The tenants are paying you rent which will cover the mortgage payments. So as Stephen Covey said, instead of habits highly effective people, start with the end in mind. What is your end goal? Do you want to create generation wealth where you pass the properties onto the kids, which I do, so I want to keep the debt and the mortgage on the property because it's one way, there's different ways like trust, there's one way to save inheritance tax because that debt is taken into account when the government works out the inheritance tax. So I want the maximum cash flow, and I want to pass it on to my kids with the debt onto it. Uh, if some people, obviously, it's a psychology reason, they can't sleep at night until they paid off their mortgage. So if it's going to stress you out by having the debt on the on, on these properties, then obviously it makes sense to pay, have a capital and repayment mortgage. So it's an individual situation. Um, depending on what you're comfortable with and also what you and what you want the property to give you and three, what is your end game? I think as well as that, we had Vinay Rathod on a while ago. He was talking about interest-only mortgages. They're a lot harder to procure these days as well, from what I know. For they- buy, yeah, for buy-to-net, it's not a problem. I've not had a problem with buy-to-net mortgages um, being interest-only. Really? Um, really? Really? Wow, okay. It depends on your your broker if you got all to market broker then you should have no problems getting an interest only mortgage oh i see okay fair I, did one, I, did one last, I did one last month so there's definitely no problems oh okay fair enough okay liam hope that was helpful joe bad good evening joe joe would like to know if you could remind us when section 24 came into existence when was that it's been at least a couple at least two three years i think maybe probably five years when you get to my age, time just flies. These <laughs> <So laughs> five because they gradually reduced the mortgage tax relief that you could get. So it started off at least five years ago where they said only you could claim 80% of your mortgage. Then it went down to 75 or 50%. Then it went down to 25%. Now it's been the lowest, which is 20% tax credit or 20% of the mortgage that you can claim back. So, yeah, it's been around for a good four or five years interesting stuff adam pringle has asked with the huge amount of quantitative quantitative easing that's money printed into anybody who's unfamiliar with that term do you predict a bit of a boom in the housing market over the next few years or do you personally think now the stamp duty holiday is stopped furlough will eventually end and an increase in unemployment will will all but will cause a correction okay so 
if anyone gives you predictions on what's going to happen in the property market, run a mark because no one knows. <laughs> Everyone got it wrong. In the first lockdown, saying we're going to have a crash. Um, but because obviously the government incentive is stamp duty. My take on it is as long, if the stamp duty exemption um, ends on the 31st of March, as the Chancellor said, I expect for Q1 to be a sort of boom or upward trend, Q2 to be a slow, um, maybe a bit of a de- decrease, and then Q3 and 4 going back up again. So I don't see a dip in the property market at the moment because one of the things that affects mainly property is interest rates, and interest rates are really low. Um, stay vacation service apartments, I think, will do a lot of work because people may be scared to travel overseas. But we could be completely wrong. People might say, oh, I need some sun now. Like you see all those pictures on Insta, people in Dubai partying mm-hmm. around there. So no one knows human emotion, human nature, what's going to happen. Um, in the first lockdown, people were booking more uh, stay vacation. That was their plan, but it, it maybe all fell out the window. Um, what I would say is, it sounds boring, I would say stick to bread and butter. So I go for three-bedroom houses, families, first-time buyers. They're not going to go out to the market. They're going to stay in that property for six to seven years. Once you've got that foundation, then look at the price of the cake. Then you can experience holiday net service apartments and those kind of things but i wouldn't start off with those straight away so that hard limit on when stamp duty is ending is that the end of this month yeah, yeah. sorry i just didn't catch that 31st oh, of march is where the exemption is march right sorry yeah. awesome cool cool adam hope that helps we have sarab next sarab welcome to the show hope you're having a good evening sarab would like to know What's the best advice for someone just starting out slash hoping to get on the property ladder? General on this. Yeah, okay. So the first thing is if you it depends if they've got their own residential or not. So I would highly recommend to get their residential sorted out first because it does open you up to more lenders. If you haven't got your residential, you can still get lending, but it's very few and far between lenders that will lend to you a buy to let mortgage if you haven't got your own residential. So they do prefer someone with a residential property. So if you haven't got that, then save up, get your residential property. Then I would say just educate yourself. Um, You can self-educate, you can go on training, learn. There's so many free resources on YouTube, um, Facebook groups, podcasts, etc. Educate yourself and work out what kind of investor you want to be in terms of do you want to invest for cash flow or capital gain? Because if you're investing for cash flow, you're going to be going for higher yielding properties. So it may not be in London or the southeast. It may be in Midlands, northeast, northwest. If you're going for capital appreciation, i.e. better pension pot, then you would be investing in the southeast or London. So that would be my tips. Residential, education, and work out your investing area, depending on what you want property to give you. Wachul has got another question. Second question from Wachul. Wachul would like to know, is there any, do you have any thoughts, Harry, on using a SIP to buy property? Real quick, guys, I've put together a special report for dentists entitled The Seven Costly and Potentially Disastrous Mistakes that dentists make whenever it comes to their finances. Most of the time, dentists are going through these issues and they don't even necessarily realize that they're happening until they have their eyes opened. And that is the purpose of this report. You can go ahead and receive your free report by heading on over to www.dentistinvest.com forward slash podcast report, or alternatively, you can download it using the link in the description. 
This report details these seven most common issues. However, most importantly, it also shows you how to fix them. Really looking forward to hearing your thoughts. Yeah, definitely is very speak to your accountant again. SIPs and SASH are really tax efficient in terms of buying property. I always have to be controlled of my own money. You cannot invest in residential property with those. It would have to be commercial property. But I would say financing, and James will go with this, it's like raising a kid, sending a kid to a stranger for 18 years and hoping to have a really rounded adult when they come back. You are going to take more care of your money. You're going to learn about it, invest it. So if you've got more control, um, you're not relying on someone else. So, yeah, definitely a good point to do and way forward. Cool. Dan Hardy Punia said hello. Hello, Dan. Hope you're well. Dan is the boss of a new job that I'm starting tomorrow, so I better be on my best behavior tonight. So Dan's, Dan's looked after me very well. I can't wait to go and meet them all. Uh, in a clinical setting tomorrow for the first time. It should be fun. I haven't done dentistry for about five months, so it's going to be a bit weird, but I'm looking forward to it. Well, well, yeah, I tell a little bit of a lie. I suppose I've been on a a few courses, I suppose, uh, between now and then, but I've really, yeah, I'm just really looking forward to getting back into it, if I'm honest with you. Ryan Fisher would like to know, what about buying into a block of flats? A friend of mine has shares in a company that runs flats he reinvests his rent payments into more flats. I'm not sure of the details beyond that. I'm just, I'm just throwing these at you as, as I read them. Uh, Harry, I hope that, does that kind of make sense? Is that all right? Yeah, yeah I personally tend to stay away from flats. A um, couple of reasons. Um, you've got extra costs per month going in in terms of, unless you're buying the freeholder of the building and you're the freeholder. So we assume you're not the freeholder and you're a leaseholder. You'll have, obviously, service charge and ground rent to pay on a monthly basis. Also, what I find, unless you're in a major city like London, Manchester or Leeds, you wouldn't get stable tenants. You get more um, temporary tenants because normally a couple that are going to move in together for the first time realise they've got bad habits and they like, hate each other, split up and move out there. Um, also, you've got to be wary if you don't own the freehold, how long is the lease? Lenders are getting more strict in terms of they want like 999-year leases to give them protection. Um, but on the other side, if you are the freeholder and you own the block of flats and separate them to lease, that's a really good profit strategy to do. Awesome. Brilliant. We've got Kazira next. Kazira has just said hello. Hello. Good evening to you as well, Kazira. Hope you're having a great weekend. And next up, we've got Thana. Thana has said hello once again. Hello, Thana. As an associate, is it okay to have the dental income and properties under the same limited company? Does that make sense, Harry? Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I would probably separate them um, because of that limited liability. You don't want the assets mixing up with your income. Yeah. So I would create separate. Same again, go for professional advice because there may be a reason. We never know we're not professional accountants. There may be a reason why you'd want to do it. It suit your situation. But personally, and as a standard rule of thumb, you would separate them. So I have like a facial aesthetic clinic, my training academy, um, the property, they're all separate companies. Yeah, yeah. So that's to minimize your liability should one go wrong, essentially, yeah, yeah. is what you're saying. Fair enough. Cool. 
And next, any disadvantages of doing that really? Or any reason why you might want to have them all under the same company? Not that anything that can come top of my yeah. mind. There's, um, yeah. there's always, of course, the fee that you have to pay to set up another limited company. But yeah. the, I mean, there's the massive benefits are outweighed by that, I guess. How much is it to set up a limited company these days? About 1,100 quid? No, no, no. Something like that? Do it for, um, I've forgotten the name of the website, 45 pounds. to no, don't, no way. Don't, don't get your accountant to do it. The accountant's going to hate me for it. I never, Swift Formations is the website. So um, I do all by Swift. Unless it's a really complicated structure, yeah, your accountants will charge you hundreds of thousands of pounds. If you go to Swift Formations, um, they would do it for under 50 quid, unless it's a bit complicated, maybe a couple of hundred quid. That is absolute gold dust, that. I was actually just on the cusp of paying a lawyer to start a limited company, so I'm glad you told me that. Yeah, and it was a, it was around the figure that I said. I haven't, no money has changed hands just yet. I'm really glad you told me that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, simple, yeah, if it's a simple structure and you can do it yourself and you're the only shareholder and director in Swift Formations, if it's a bit more complicated, then yeah, always seek professional That advice. is an absolute nugget of advice, that. Thank you so much. Jay Patel would like to know, if you have a limited company, SPV, that holds property and you have an outstanding mortgage, does the company still report a profit for the year? and therefore pay corporation tax, or does the company not turn over a profit until the whole mortgage has been paid for? I'm going to go for um, that standard response from who wants to be a millionaire, phone a friend. <laughs> that is a quite a difficult <laughs> question which your accountant will need to answer. Fair enough. No worries, no worries. Parag would like to know, could we ask Harry his thoughts on HMO based on COVID? Is it still worth looking into? Or do you think there will be a shift to standard three-bed semi? In theory, yes, there should be a shift because people don't want to share house, share rooms and houses with strangers. And some of my HMO landlords did find there's more vacancies. But that would be the ideal situation. But the people that normally go for HMOs, they can't afford to rent a house by themselves. They can't afford to rent a flat by themselves. So there will always be a market for people that will can only afford a room by room basis so i there was a temporary and um, slump in hmos but i don't think it'll be long term. and people have short-term memories once covid is out of our system everyone's got the vaccine people will forget about it they'll go back to normal you'll just see on the first night of clubbing and pubs people just forget all about social distancing so i think there may be a short-term blip but long term because the market's there, people will there will be a certain market that can only afford HMOs, and they will still be renting. I guess that all depends on whether or not. I mean, not to get too morbid or deeply into it, but whether or not the vaccine works long term. I'm sure it will. I mean, it depends on the the, the virology, and you're kind of getting. It's a bit of a complex, and on on it's one that's a little bit hard to predict that. But uh, yeah, should everything go back to normal, then just as what as what you said there, Harry, I shouldn't imagine why there should any be any long term issue. I guess. Yeah. Dan Hardy Punia, I find that interest on mortgages when getting under a limited company is much higher. So yeah, when that oh. I, I just it was about to turn did, off. Did I, did I cut so, out? So yeah, all I said, yeah. all I said was Dan has noticed that when he's buying a, a more, when he seeks a mortgage through a limited company, that he reckons the interest is higher. 
Is that an issue? Yeah, a lot of people say that. I had a conversation at lunchtime on Clubhouse. My um, broker has not had a problem. We've actually got the same interest rates compared to what I would have done if I was buying personally. So I would just check. So with the mortgage broker, just make sure they're full of mark. They're full of market in terms of they access all the markets. So there may be certain restrictions certain brokers have that they can't have access to full market. So, but no, my brokers have never had a problem. Um, but getting um, mortgages under the same rate as uh, as a, as I, if I was investing personally. Okay, so might just be a specific issue with whoever you sought a, mor- a mortgage from there by the signs of it. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Harry, yeah, maybe worth shopping around on that one, Dan. Joe has asked another question. There used to be advice by our forefathers that one should stretch yourself as much as possible to buy your primary home to reside in as that's devoid of capital gains tax. CGT is, um, I presume that Joe means capital gains tax there. If there was growth in the future, is that still the advice given? Yeah. Um, um, yes, used to be. Um, so, yeah, it's a tricky one. So, definitely, he's right in terms of capital gains tax. On your residential property, you don't pay any capital gains tax. Also, the advantage is because you've got this extra stamp duty, the first house you buy wants to be the most expensive house because you're paying... Um, yeah, because you're paying the low low stamp duty rate. So definitely, yeah, the first house. But then you don't want to stretch all your money. You'll see in terms of, let's say, I don't know, you've got 200000 You don't want to put all that down on the deposit on one property. I would say get a lower price property and then use some of that money for investment purposes. Yeah, fair enough. So not not black and white, but something to consider, I guess. Fair enough. Uh, the next question we have, who Wong Nguyen. Welcome, Wong. Um, congratulations on being on British Bake Off, by the way, Huang. Have you seen that floating around on the, uh, there's a dental cakes and bakes group. So we've got Huang in the uh, questions tonight. She's going to be on British Bake Off, which is amazing. Yeah, I was, I was impressed. Yeah, I can't wait to see you on TV. Huang would like to know, uh, she's, she's simply put incorporation relief in question mark. Uh, I'm presuming you know what that means. Harry? Um, no, <laughs> I know what incorporation is. Hwang, if you care to just elaborate slightly on that, then maybe we, we can answer, because I'm not sure what that is either. I was banking on Harry knowing what that is, but <laughs> I, I don't, I'm not sure either of us do. Uh, if you could just elaborate on that slightly, I'm sure we'd be happy to talk about it. Then we've got Zishan up next. Is it better to cash by one Cash buy one or two buy to lets or to buy to let mortgage and buy five. I hope that makes sense. I think it makes sense. Does it, Harry? Okay. This is quite, this is a debate that always happens within um, property circles there. So one, we normally say never use your own cash or buy by cash because you've got, you're not getting scaled there because then you can only invest in two properties instead of five properties. You miss out the capital appreciation on the extra three. But there's a good idea to, if you want to buy multiple properties, is maybe 
do you have one property that you bought by cash or have it encumbered? So encumbered means there's no mortgage debt on it because then you can use that as collateral when you buy other properties, for example, bridging finance or mortgage, where you may not get the mortgage on that property straight away, but you've got encumbered property. So we, we have used that numerous times to our advantage. So depending on if they want to scale the business and buy multiple properties in the long term, it may be advantageous to have one property encumbered with there's no debt onto it. If they're planning only to have two or three properties, then I would say no use um, using up all your cash on one property is to spread the risk over three or four properties. And also, if you, the more properties you've got, the less risk you've got of negative cash flow because if you've only got one property and a tenant doesn't pay, you're buggered. If you've got five properties and say one tenant doesn't pay, the four other extra cash flow, positive cash flow, will cover that one that's gone um, into deficit. Cool, cool. Anna Montero has said, I'm so happy I didn't miss this. Anna, we're really happy to have you here. I'm sure Harry will agree. <laughs> when Harry talked about sorting out residential first, does that mean trying to pay all of it before owning other properties? As an associate, when do we know it's the right time to change to a limited company? Two questions there, really, Harry. Yes, I know. You wouldn't pay, but um, you wouldn't be paying off your residential. You just could buy it on a mortgage, and that will be enough for you to get access to much more wider lenders. So, this, yeah, you wouldn't want to be paying it off straight away. Obviously, long term, we do encourage, well, this is my personal viewpoint, because your own, like, if you read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, he always talks about your residential house being a liability because you're paying the council tax and utility bills. And same again, Grant Condone, business guru from Medicare, he doesn't buy his residential, he rents it because it's a liability. So um, you want to be um, buying your residential but getting a normal mortgage on that and then obviously using the funds available for investment. And the second part was to do, when should, yeah, when should they be incorporated? Um, yep. There is no right on no right answer is yeah. again, the counter, what their long-term plan is, short-term plan, except for example, if uh, associates saving up money to buy their residential, it may not be the best to go limited because obviously it doesn't show their true income um, and they may not be able to get the highest residential mortgage that they want to. So they may be better to be sole trader, individual, while they're buying their residential. Once they've got their residential, then go incorporated. Um, that's an example, but as I said, same again, speak to your Fair account. enough, depends on your individual circumstances, I'm going to guess on that one. Ryan Fisher has said, oh, Ryan's just concurred with something that was said earlier. Pierce, Pierce has said, sorry I'm late, it's okay, Pierce, no big deal. This will be recorded and it'll go up on the group later so you can see anything that you've missed. Hawong, oh, Hawong's got back in touch. She's just expanding on her earlier question. Incorporation relief to move properties from your own name to your limited company, um, properties in own name. To, yeah, she just said she would like to know what incorporation relief it, there is to move uh, properties from your own name to limited companies is what she's uh, said there, I believe. Yeah. I mean, terms, when I spoke to my accountants many years ago about this, they said, they didn't mention anything about incorporation relief, but they said they worked that the amount of capital gains tax and stamp duty they would have to pay, it wasn't worthwhile. Um, same again, I'm not expert on taxing purposes. So incorporation relief, um, speak to your accountant. So obviously have each situation is different. So they will work out this figures saying, okay, you've got your current portfolio at the moment. If we move it to incorporation, this is how much capital gains tax 
kind of stamp duty if there is incorporation relief. Uh, I don't think it does relate to residential investment property, but just double check that. They will work out how much it would cost in terms of taxes for you to move to limited. And they go, okay, if they say, in my example, they said you would have to hold the property for 200 years to get your money back from the capital gains tax and stamp duty, so it wasn't worth the while. If they say, okay, you're going to pay, I don't know, £10,000 in capital gains tax stamp duty, but you're going to get that back in tax relief within three years, then it may be worthwhile to do it. Um, same again, speak to your Fair enough, fair enough. I hope that helped. I hope that's helpful, Juan. Dan would like to know, Dan's back again. Dan would like to know who your broker is, Harry. You spoke about your broker earlier that was able to get you the comparable interest rates to, uh, with regards to borrowing individually or through a company. Yes, yeah, so if you message me or message James, he messages me, and then I'll give the details out. Um, I don't like to give them out in public places in terms of, I just need to speak to him in terms of one, if you're accepting clients um normally they don't unless they've got like quite high net worth individuals in terms of they're quite um a premium um brokerage service so if you message james and then that will remind me to message my broker and see if they are uh, taking on new clients and what the minimum requirement would be wonderful ryan fisher would like to know what about handling buildings personally versus through a management firm that's a good question in terms of the refurbishment uh, or managing? Um, it, we have, Ryan hasn't actually specified here, but I guess what he means is in terms of liability and in terms of actual day-to-day -day management, do you think it's worthwhile? I'm guessing that's what yes, Ryan so means. In terms of, I'll answer both yeah. questions anyway. So we first get a project manager in. I haven't got the time to see if they're doing um, deadlines, what materials they're sourcing. So it's worth the investment in a PM. Obviously, it depends on the size of the project. The second one is the budget. And I always get a full management. So full management from the letting agent. A couple of reasons. Look, I don't want to be showing tenants around. I don't want to have direct access to tenants. That's why I gave up the industry. So I, tenants don't. <laughs> own it but they don't know who i am how to contact me um and they all will pick better quality tenants because they will do more vigorous credit checks employment checks bank checks etc than i would and then they've got skin in the game because the full management the letting agent or management agent doesn't get paid until the tenant pays so they've got skin in the game it's not my space your time is better invested getting the next deal instead of managing tenants so you you might have heard a little bit of feedback from my phone there, Harry. I was trying to get a second feed up because you might have heard your voice playing back to you. So apologies for that. I hope it wasn't too distracting. I had to, I, I couldn't get it off. So I just had to put it on standby straight away. Never mind. Ryan, I hope that was what you were after there. Let me see who we've got next. Wachel, again, with the use of incumbent property, wouldn't that property get hit with inheritance tax? I was told not to pay off and keep in debt with property. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, eventually we would put a debt on that property. So early on, as we talked about, I don't know if they missed a conversation earlier on the Facebook Live where we talked about, oh, that's why I have interest only. I don't pay the debt. I'll pass it on to the kids because they've got less inheritance tax. So Bill, there's different ways you can protect or reduce inheritance in terms of putting the property into a trust. Um, but same again, you need to speak to a professional accountant. Because I know me and Jane have been talking 
uh, about getting accountant, proper specialist, property accountant on board to, because I know dentists love, don't love tax or paying tax, and they always have tax questions. And then if you can get accountant on the call or Facebook Live or, or your podcast, then obviously they can answer questions directly and they're obviously fully compliant to do yeah, so. A lot of accountancy questions on here tonight, which is great. And yes, Harry and I, uh, sort of behind the scenes, were discussing about making a live cast out of that at some point. If everybody thinks that sounds like a good episode, please do, of course, let me know, and we'd be happy to arrange that for you at some point. Anna has Anna Montero from earlier has said, "Thank you. You're very welcome, Anna. Thank you for being so polite. Both answers helped a lot. Early stages of learning how to invest. You're very welcome, Anna." Ryan Fisher, uh, he has said, "Read the in question. Read the question about." when to incorporate ask your accountant mine said the amount of private i do isn't worth it i believe it i believe it comes into play or it becomes more efficient when you're earning the higher tax rate so over 50 grand ryan but again one for the accountant side i'm by no means a tax tax expert that's just secondhand information from uh well accountants that i've had on the show so definitely one you might like to ask your accountant about just as we were saying earlier zaid Good evening, Zaid. Are there any parts of the country you look to buy investment property or locations to avoid? I think we talked about this on our podcast, didn't we, Harry? Yeah. Way back in the day. Seems like it. So, yeah. You might like to expand on that. Yeah, so I would always say invest local to you within a half an hour drive. Not that you're going to be managing the property, but you're going to be doing multiple site visits. You know the areas. You know the good parts, the bad parts, the Bronx, the good schools, what the tenants are looking for. Um, the biggest mistake, and I made these mistakes, I was investing in Aberdeen, um, different areas. The uh, best story I ever heard was an investor I met in London who invested in Liverpool in um, Kensington because he thought Kensington sounded good because he was comparing it to Kensington in London. And if you've been to Liverpool, you wouldn't let your dog live there. So um hopefully no one's from kensington <laughs> <laughs> uh, a bit late now apologies anybody's from kensington and liverpool sorry about that <laughs> yeah it's you've got the local knowledge so don't be people have that shiny object syndrome where they think it's going to be the grass is greener on the other side the grass is green on the other side because the grass is fake that's what i've been told <laughs> there so invest local to you you'll find an area within half now that you can do your property deals Mashin, Ryan Fisher said spot on with regards to our answer to the question earlier. You're very welcome, Ryan. Hope that helped. Dana has jumped back in to say, just to elaborate on the question earlier regarding the associate income. Do you recall which one that is off the top of your head, Harry? I'll just scroll up a little bit here. So, yes, Dana earlier asked. Uh, yeah, it, it was the one about the uh, having a limited, com- limited your income, your personal income, going into the same limited company as what owns your properties. Uh, so let's just see what Stan has said now. My accountant said it will half the account fees as it will be just one account rather than two. Is it worthwhile to keep it separate? I don't think it's just as simple as that, but I'll, I'll throw that over to Harry. Yeah, yeah. And I, um, I get the best professional people, best, and they're not the cheapest by far, but their advice and weight is in gold. So actually good well good ethics on accountants say it reduce the fees but um it's not definitely i don't know anyone that does that and as we talked about it's the liability so if a patient goes after you and they see you've got five properties as well they could go after those as well so no definitely keep it separate but same again there may be a reason 
and if the counters the only reason he's given you is to reduce his fee then that wouldn't be a good that shows me it's not a good enough reason to make them all in one yeah uh, I mean, even from what I know about it, I don't think making this decision solely on that basis would be the right thing to do, but definitely want to get some yeah, advice a on. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Narinder has said, welcome to the show, Narinder. What's the best way to source BMV properties? What are your thoughts on using a broker for this? Thanks. Okay, so I've done both. Uh, my own marketing and using broker, the best deals I've done is my own individual ones that I've found. The broker's ones, I'm a bit sceptical because if the deal is good enough, why are they passing them over? And two, the deals that they pass over, they're not actually below market value, they're market value, they're in areas I don't, I don't know about. Uh, so I strongly recommend to do your own marketing, build up relationships with estate agents, letting agents, mortgage brokers in your area. It is more time-consuming, but the results are much better because you get much better discounts, and they're true discounts. Um, I've, I, was, I did a webinar this morning for Dental Property Club, and we were talking about deals that I didn't do, and there was a deal in Manchester. He said, worth 100, spend 10 grand doing it, be worth 140. It wouldn't go above 80 grand all day long. So there are a lot of bullshitters, excuse my language, <laughs> in this industry because it's not regulated. And our deal finders are, eventually, after many years not being regulated, but there's so many sharks in that business. Um, source your own deals. Um, they're going to be the best yielding. You've got control over it. Brilliant. Parag has said, thanks guys for setting this up. You're very welcome, Parag. Harry, what sort of yields do you look for when buying investment properties? Okay, so the ones I'm going to be keeping, so the yield is the annual rent divided by the market value. And in the current climate, I don't go for anything below 6%. So the annual rent divided by the market value, minimum 6%. That's enough cash flow. So if interest rates went up by 2 3%, percent i still got a buffer, i still got a lot of cash flow coming in. I still do deals that are below 6%, but then I'll do a buy to sell, flip them. I wouldn't keep them long term. So 6% yield. That's gross yield. Awesome. So Aida said, thanks for research the podcast. It's the very first episode in case you're interested. As Aid, uh, Harry was the very first person who was gracious enough to come on my podcast when I was just setting it up when it wasn't really anything yet. So I'm very much ingratiated to him. Uh, very big thanks to Harry there. But said, thanks. To oh, no problem. No problem. It should be me saying thanks to you, really. Wachul Lee has said, thanks for the advice. You're welcome, Wachul. Wong has said, thank you to you both. You're very welcome, Wong. Ryan has said, just in addition to the point earlier from Anna about the accountant uh, saying that you purely might like to make that decision based on the fact that it will have your accountant's fees. Ryan has said, he can't think of any reason why you might why you'd want to expose your investment to dental law partnership as well. I think I might tend to agree with Ryan on that one. You might just want to research that one a little bit more and not make a decision fully on that basis, Anna, at least from my understanding of it as well. Joe Bat has said, uh, good question. Uh, yeah, uh, you're welcome, Joe. Uh, Narinder has said, thanks, guys. You're welcome, Narinder. Thana said, thank you both okay. so much. You're welcome, Thana. All right, dentist yeah, on the call. <laughs> We've got 70 here tonight. It's amazing, which is cool. And we've got Mandeep Burring has said thank you as well. You're welcome, guys. Thank you so much for being so polite and everybody saying thank you. Um, 
I actually think we're, we've ran a bit dry on the question front here, Harry. So is there anything? Oh, wait, we've got one more. It's just popped in just, just as the door was about to close. We've got Geran. Uh, he said, I've been paying into a lifetime ISA before getting my first time property. Is there anything else I can do as an associate to set me up for investing in a few years, apart from doing a lot of U UDAs? Getting a bit broader than port property there, Harry, isn't it? But uh, would you like to answer that one? Yeah, I would say, yeah, there's two. I talk about the PISS formula. So the first two parts are passive income, investment income, and savings and simplify. So save as much as you can is basically um, reduce your lifestyle. So I made sacrifices. So I had a pain of discipline, living at home, cheap car, no fancy designer stuff. So I had a pain of discipline, so I don't get the pain of regret later on, because you can always upscale your life later on. So, yeah, reduce your expenses to bare minimum. Have a couple of years of not hard slog, but in terms of living modestly. Um, there's a book called um, The Millionaire Next Door by Thomas Stanley, really good book. And he interviewed loads of millionaires in America, and he said they had the same house, same car for 20 years. He invited them to a, a luncheon. On one side, he had all the posh foods, caviar, lobster and stuff. On the other side, he had burgers, hot dogs. Most of them went for the burgers and the hot dogs. That's what they were used to then. <laughs> so um, really good book, The Millionaire Next Door. But I so, said, yeah, we did lifestyle expenses that can come later. So my lifestyle is funded by my rent. It doesn't come out of my own pocket. Um and then obviously, yeah, it's making sense for making investment decisions. But then I'll say the best one is education. Get educated, get knowledge. Just to add to what Harry was saying there, I've read a few books, uh, about three or four books on long-term investing and money management. And pretty much when you've read three or four, there are certain details that each one, each one of them mentioned consistently. And one of them is saving. Because if you can save money, reduce your lifestyle creep and not begin to enter that rat race where you're trying to compete against other people, because that's a black hole as well. If you just pull yourself out of that and adopt this mindset where you, you live, not frugally, but you're living, living and preserving this money that you've created, then that is so powerful. And that is the stuff that you can use to have an amazing lifestyle further down the line. Every single one of them mentioned that, just in addition to what Harry was saying there. Hope that was what you were looking for there, Jer. Joe Bat. We've got two more questions. We were hoping to finish up at 7 o'clock. We'll squeeze in as many as we can here, guys. Joe Bat has said, last question, which property acquisition has taught you the biggest lesson? I think that seems like a really good question. Um, the one I made the biggest mistake, going over Dubai, overseas, new build, and a flat. So everything I preached not to do, I did. So overseas, I bought on impulses on the holiday, 2005. Um, overseas, it was a new build, so I overpaid. Um, it was a flat, so temporary um, tenants. And also, because it's overseas, you don't know the regulation, the guidance, the laws there. So went back home after it got built, rented it out. First six months of finance, family old air conditioning units broken. Can you send us two grand? This is broken. Tenants complain about this. Obviously, because I didn't live locally, um, I couldn't just fly out and say, okay, deal with it, etc. So... Buying overseas, buying new build, buying a flat, and buying on impulse, buying on emotion. So now take the emotion out of it, just go on the spreadsheet. Yeah, I can imagine. 
imagine, well, sounds like you might have learned that the hard way there a little bit. Did you did you eventually move it on? Yeah, so it went ups and downs. So remember 2005, 2008, recession, credit crash, went down. Luckily, the tenants were good because the only plus point was we were renting to Air Emirates and they paid a year's rent upfront. So there was on a yearly contract. So that's the only good thing about it. But yeah, prices, I think it was... 250 grand I bought it for then one time it went down to one um, 120,000 in credit cost I go Jesus Christ and then luckily it went back up to 250 and I sold it 2012 didn't make any money made money on the rent but didn't make any capital gain so but yeah, yeah. that was an important lesson Bad to get rid of it by yeah. the signs of it John let me just see here what John has said John Chrysler welcome John hope you're having a great evening and a great weekend do you plan on keeping your rental properties for many years? Yeah, so my plan is anything I buy for long term, I will keep them indefinitely and they're going to be passed over to the kids there. So that's how generations like Duke of Westminster owns half the properties on Oxford Street. He's been They were passed on from his dad. His dad was passed on from his granddad, etc. So that's how the wealthy get wealthier. They pass on the assets down to the kids. So yeah, the ones... because. When you sell, you got to pay capital gains tax and you lose the asset um, appreciation. So I would hold indefinitely, pass them on in trust there so they're protected. The kids will get them and then I've taught them. They're going to pass them on to their kids. Brilliant. Ryan has said nothing wrong with breaking even on a bad investment. I guess you're right. Fair enough. I mean, it could be worse. It could always sell for a loss. So yeah, breaking even, breaking even and learning a lesson like that actually might be invaluable. I suppose if you look at it from that point of view. We have, we've got, we've got ten minutes unless you need to be somewhere. Do you, Harry? We'll wrap it up by seven. That's what right, with you. It's a nil-nil scoreline. So I'm <laughs> quite bored. Oh, we didn't so miss anything then. Fair enough. Omar would like to know, do you have any price uh, limit, limit slash spec for the properties you buy, e.g. two-bed houses under 150K? So, uh, yeah, does, does that make sense? Maybe some hard limits based on the specifications of the property in terms of price? Yeah, so because we gained for a gross yield of 6% on our buy to there, it rules out, in, depend, it's area dependent. For my area, it rules out anything above 250000 as a buy to net. So once you've done your figures, so what you want to do is research what average three bedroom houses in your area, average three bedroom um, rent, and then get the 6%, and then anything above that. We still do deals. So we still do deals on four or five bedroom houses, but we don't keep those. But because we're after that 6% yield in my area, Stevenage, Hertfordshire, that rules out anything above 250,000. Cool, brilliant. I think that we've just run dry. The question well is just run dry. Although I did say that before and then some popped up on the screen. Uh, what we'll do, we'll give it a few more minutes. But in the meantime, Harry, is there anything you'd like to say just to conclude or wrap up? Yeah, so obviously um, James has set up a perfect group, excellent group in terms of be active on the group, learn. There's no stupid questions. Um, obviously you can reach me if you've got any property questions. Um, I've just been swamped over the last few weeks, but I will spend more time in the group um, answering any property or giving some tips. Um, yeah, it's educate, if, especially if you're not working, use that as downtime, education, get noise. There's loads of free resources, podcasts, YouTube videos, etc. Um, 
property. I know some people say buy too late is buy too late, but property, we have changed our strategy so that traditional buy to let may not be as profitable. So we are looking at more HMOs. Permitted development is a really good strategy. So the government have changed planning regulations. So if you've got a two-story house, you can build two extra floors and planning's guaranteed. If you've got a bungalow, you can build an extra floor on top to convert into a normal house, that's guaranteed. Commercial property, you can build two extra floors on top to make it residential. So it's actually much more creative and much more opportunities available now compared to when I started 20-odd years ago. Interesting. Was there, there was something you shared in the group as well, wasn't there, Harry? Uh, it was a, like a telegram group, except it was something else about property, wasn't it? Did you want to talk a little bit about that or happy enough? Um, tell, oh, yeah, Clubhouse. Yeah, so Clubhouse. Um, you said telegram, I got it. I threw Not you. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> oh no no sorry no 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 no. what i meant was there's a messaging app called telegram you see not a not a literal telegram sorry just to clear up confusion guys yeah i meant the messaging app sorry about that back to you harry but i need to talk <laughs> no talks if you say that <laughs> so yes it's an app called clubhouse from america started last summer i found out that for my property contacts but it's really good in terms of um, it's free to join at the moment but there's different chat rooms this, obviously, they call it real estate. I've learned quite a lot in terms of marketing, social media marketing, um, leaderships, uh, presentations. There's so there's thousands and thousands of chat um, rooms. I know a few dentists have got involved in those. But I was saying to James that there's quite a few on cryptocurrency as well and Bitcoin, etc. So be interested to see their viewpoints on what they think is going to happen. Um, but no, it's a free resource. I've got nothing to do with it. I've got no shares. I wish I did have shares in it. Um, but it looks like an exciting platform to basically get yeah, free education. But obviously, it is quite time consuming. You do get hooked onto it. I use it like a radio station playing in the background. Um, obviously, I don't do any clinical work, but for the dentists at work, it may be a bit harder to active listen to it while you're treating patients. Guys, if it sounds like your thing, we have just got one more question. I, we should have time to answer this one actually. Harry, because it's not very long, and then we'll wrap up, and we'll call a hard limit on the questions from now, if it's all right, guys. The final question we have here is Chan Chandney. Uh, Chandney has said, sorry if this question is asked, has been asked earlier, uh, but does Section 13 seem to make buy-to-let properties less appealing than it was back in the day? Um. Only temporary at the moment because obviously you cannot evict a tenant and there's a backlog for court cases. So a couple of things. So if you go for a gross yield of 6%, which is the annual rent divided by the market rent, you are going to have a flood of tenants. You can pick the cream or the cream. So because the yield is 6%, you know there's a demand from tenants. So we're very careful on who we pick. We always ask for guarantors, obviously deposits as normal. We ask for guarantors, and also what I do is I slightly go below market rent. So let's say the market rent is 1,200. We're put on for 11.50. We've got a flood of tenants going, and we normally like to pick tenants. Obviously, it's normally your husband, wife, and kids. Kids at the local schools, secondary schools. Both have got jobs, so we've got stable income coming in. We've got good bank references, credit checks, and um, employer references from the letting agent. Um, in my 20 years with over 30 properties, I've only had to evict, evict twice. Um, and they didn't, 
they were it was genuine reasons they lost their job and they couldn't afford the rent there. So as long as you've got that six percent yield, you use a netting agent. I'm not concerned about um, you can't evict tenants at the moment or long term because we have got really good tenants. Thank you so much for taking the time out to talk tonight, Harry. That was I'm sure everybody listening learned a lot there. If anybody's got any more questions related to property, Harry is of course on the group. Harry Singh, feel free to drop him a message. Harry, can I just say a massive thanks for giving up your Sunday evening to come and talk to us. I hope you've enjoyed yourself. Yeah, yeah. So luckily, Liverpool didn't win. I would have been gutted if I missed that match. <laughs> that is completely my bad on the football thing, guys. So I'm going to take ownership of that one. Apologies. Anyway, as I say, we're going to wrap up now. So it's been a pleasure to see everybody on the show tonight. I hope everybody's had a good evening and is having a good weekend. We'll see each other very soon in a bit. See you later, Harry. Thanks a lot, James. Take care. If you enjoyed this podcast, please hit follow or subscribe so you can stay up to date with information on new podcasts which are released weekly. Please also feel free to leave a positive review so others can learn about this podcast and benefit from it. I would also encourage any fans of the podcast to sign up to the free Facebook community from which the podcast originated. Please search Dentists Who Invest on Facebook and hit join to become part of a community of thousands of other dentists interested in improving their finances, well-being and investing knowledge. Looking forward to seeing you on there.